Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio station where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. And my name is John Keeley. This is the podcast segment of the show that is not broadcast on station KALA. Our guest for the 378th show is Anna Duggan, that's correct, adjunct faculty at the Department of Anthropology at McCaster University, will be talking to us about the American Civil War, a molecular study of smallpox. Our history buffs for today's show are Brett Menard and Terry Toppler. Terry, you get to start off this time. Yes, Anna, could you give us a little history about smallpox, uh, where it originated from? Do we know? Uh, the origin of it and how it came to America? That's a great question. Um, we don't really know when smallpox as a disease originated, nor do we know when variola as a virus originated. What's interesting about variola in comparison to some of the other viruses that are in that same orthopox virus family is that variola virus, at least as we know it in the 17th through 20th century, is very human-specific. It's incapable of infecting any other host, whereas all of the other orthopox viruses, or almost all of the other orthopox viruses, are really able to infect a wide variety of vertebrates. So that detail about being human-specific is quite interesting, right? Especially if we add in the piece that... uh, that, variola virus can only infect a host once, um, meaning that you need a large susceptible population for that virus to continue proliferating and not sort of die out on its own. So because of that, there's been suggestions that um, variola virus might have made this sort of evolutionary shift into being a human-specific virus around about the time of the development of agriculture. Um, and when we started living in larger, more settled populations, their earliest potential um, paleopathological evidence of variola virus is an Egyptian mummy, which I believe is thought to be about three and a half thousand years old. However, it's a little bit of a contentious sample. Not everybody believes that the, the pustules that are visible on that mummy are related to smallpox or not. And some evolutionary analyses of the strains of variola virus that have been sequenced put its origin within the last few hundred to at most um, about a thousand years. However, we have a really limited sample pool to pull from there. So all of those dates are almost certainly incorrect. Okay. As I said, I have a special little twist with this. Last week, I was talking to my class about smallpox vaccinations, and everybody here, I don't know if Brett falls into that category, but when we were kids, the smallpox shot shot was a big, big deal. So I still have the mark on my arm as my friends, and I told my class that none of you do because it's they don't give those shots out anymore. And a gal who was in my class, who actually she was originally born in a country in Southeast Asia, she goes, no, I have one, and she looked up on her arm, and she did, which kind of floored me because the new generation, my, none of my kids and they're in their 20s had it, 
from what I understood, that it was kind of put on the shelf because we eradicated it internationally. But yet, I saw a smallpox shot. Brett, did you get one, or were you too? Are you too young for that? Did you ever get it? Um, I'd have to check my medical records. I honestly, no, you know, no, you know, it's yeah, you'd arm. see the scar. Yeah, there is no. It's so apparently you were young enough. Yeah. Uh, when was the cutoff, if I may ask? I know that's more of a contemporary answer, but that's where I'm kind of going with this. Yeah, so that's a really interesting um, observation. And as you said, we have eradicated smallpox. It was declared eradicated by the WHO 40 years ago in 1980. The last naturally occurring case of smallpox was in 1977. Um by the time we get to the 1940s, um, 1950s, 1960s, the areas of the globe in which smallpox is endemic or still sort of circulating are very small. Um, and so lots of countries had eradicated it by widespread vaccination. And so most um, countries, the U.S. included, I believe, ceased routine childhood vaccination against smallpox uh, at some point in the mid to late 70s. However, there's some important caveats. Um, Different countries persisted, um, particularly those where smallpox had been circulating in the more recent past. And there are some individuals who continue to receive smallpox vaccinations, I believe, even today. And those are typically frontline medical workers, and I believe members of the armed forces. Interesting. Oh, okay. Thank you. All right. Brett. So you found this material in the um, Mütter Museum. Um, What other crazy stuff do they have in their collection that you wish you could play around with uh, if you can get the grant funding? (laughs) <laughs> well, the Mütter Museum is a fantastic museum. I highly recommend anybody who happens to be in Philadelphia um, take a few hours and, and give it a look. They also have a fantastic YouTube channel um, for everybody who can't get to Philadelphia right now. Really? Um, yeah. Um, there is lots of material. I, I mean, at the moment, my research interests uh, are related to smallpox and and vaccination. So, um, you know, individuals or objects in museums that are thought to have been associated with those, I'm I'm really interested in. We've collaborated with the Mütter Museum on a couple of other projects as well. They actually um, launched their own research institute a couple of years ago to have a, a sort of separate branch to be able to administer research projects that make use of their collection. All right, Anna, I'm just curious, because smallpox isn't um, naturally occurring anymore that, that we know of, and, and so the only live examples are sitting, I think, in military installations or um, maybe places, civilian disease centers like the CDC or whatever. How much, how difficult is it to get access to genetic materials and things like that in order to do your research, to do checking to see if something has changed in, in relatively recent times or whatever, because you can't look at the at the current version, so to speak, in the way that, that we would with, with most other viruses. That's a really great question. Um, so as you said, 
since the virus was declared eradicated, it's not freely circulating. And the World Health Organization regulates research on variola virus. So there are two institutes which are allowed to maintain stocks of variola. And as you guessed, it's the CDC in Atlanta. And then there's also a facility in Russia. Um, And there's discussions that happen periodically about whether or not all remaining stocks should be uh, destroyed or whether or not they have continued research value. In terms of looking at variola virus um, genomes, um, you have to apply to the WHO um, to work on it. We would certainly not receive um, an endorsement to work on live variola material, and no one outside of the CDC or the uh, Vector Institute would. Um, but truthfully, because variola virus stopped circulating in human populations um, before we got to this really genomic era um, that arguably has really only been the last 15 years or so, we don't know a whole lot about its biology in terms of what various um, changes might mean. So when we compare, for example, the ancient um, strain that we recovered from the 17th century Lithuanian mummy, and we observe that there are differences between that and the other sequences from 20th century strains that we can look at, we don't have any idea about whether or not those differences are functional or if they're just um, random. Sure. Um, Terry, do you have another question? Um, Yeah, I was just curious. Are there any diseases today that are related to smallpox or in the same family? Yeah, absolutely. So that orthopox Mm -hmm. virus family of viruses that variola belongs to has several other, so vaccinia, which is the strain that is used for um, vaccination, but we don't really um, encounter spontaneous vaccinia infections. I think the most um, pertinent one for humans is monkeypox virus, which is circulating um, endemically in some areas of Africa and does occasionally cause outbreaks in humans. And interestingly, since we stopped um, widespread vaccination against variola virus, the incidence of monkeypox infections has increased because, of course, individuals don't have protection from their vaccination. Sure. All right. Well, uh, Brett, I'm going to give you the last question for this segment. Oh, geez. I should probably make it. A, uh, a good one, if that's the case. So you've talked to us about the things we can learn through the study of um, smallpox throughout history. What are some other diseases that people are doing historical studies on that have uh, the potential to impact medicine today? So what sort of diseases are people using historical samples to study? Yeah. Oh, there are lots. Um, There's been recent studies on uh, measles virus, which is pretty exciting because uh, the measles virus is an RNA virus. Um, Similarly, influenza, so like 1918 flu, again, an RNA virus. Um, There's been a lot of studies done um, with historical uh, 
bacterial pathogens. So the, the black death in Yersinia pestis would be a really big one. Um, also some salmonella. Um, there's, there's really quite a lot. The field of paleogenetics or, you know, pathogenic paleogenetics is, is quite big right now. All right. Well, we would like to thank our guests for this 378th show, Anna Duggan, adjunct faculty in the Department of Anthropology at McMaster University, who's talked to us about the Civil War, a molecular study of smallpox. The history buffs for today's show were Brett Menard and Terry Toppler. You can listen to ROI as it's being broadcast on Friday nights on KALA HD2 88.5 FM and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at 9.30 p.m. You can also listen to the show as it's being broadcast on TuneIn.com. Put K-A-L-A-H-D-2 in the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at SoundCloud.com. Just put K-A-L-A Radio, all one word, in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down to find ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all of your favorite streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. ROI is recorded at Station KALA, St. Ambrose University.